What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. It had been 70 years since some of them had been back in their home. 70 years living in a land that wasn't their own. Some people were born in a land that wasn't their own as exiles. 70 years since they had been back to a place. 70 years since they could offer sacrifices. 70 years since they could observe uh, rituals and, 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 and festivals. 70 years for some of them. And like I said, some of them didn't even know what it was like to be living free, to be living in your own land. And now all of a sudden they get the decree that they get to go back home and they get to rebuild their lives. God stirred it in Cyrus the king. God stirred it, stirred it up in some of the people of Israel and they started going back to their homeland in Judah. Restoration Church, welcome to week two of Rebuild. We're looking at the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, how the Israelites got back into a land without any sort of home, without any sort of hope, and then God stirred in their hearts and they get to rebuild. And friends, it's just like you and I. Man, we find ourselves with no hope, no home, spiritually bankrupt, no leader to look to, and that's right when God wants to rebuild. And so Restoration Church, if that's you, if you're feeling that today, man, I'm glad you're with us uh, for another edition of Rebuild, all right? Here's what we're gonna do. We're going to open up our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, grab one because we're going to be in Ezra 3. We're going to cover the entire chapter today and we're going to be making notes all the way along the way. All right, so you've got to grab your Bible. We'll pause for a moment and let you grab your Bible. All right, this is not really like sermon time. I mean, it's it's an online sermon, but man, we, we do more of like a Bible study right here. And so uh, I get to talk to you directly into the camera and I don't know who's watching, who's listening on the other side, but I hope You've been around for the journey, and, and, and if this is your very first time, welcome to Restoration Church. We're a bunch of jacked up people hoping to make a difference in the world around us through transparency, community, and change. We are people following Jesus. All right, you got your Bibles? Everybody ready to go? We are in Ezra chapter 3. The Israelites are now leaving Persia, what was Babylon, then became Persia. Now they're leaving that land, and they get back to their homes in Judah, or what's left of them. Because when when they left, everything was, was completely destroyed. The temple was burned down, everything taken out of it. And at the end uh, of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, gives the list of people that went back. They're bringing all the stuff back for the temple. They're bringing all their goods back. And now, here we go. Ezra, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We got a lot to get to. 
When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. We're stopping. We're stopping at verse one. All right. Here's what I want to ask you. One question. What do you do first? <clears throat> Picture this. You, you buy a house, right? You go into a, a, a new home, a new city maybe, and you, what's the very first thing you do? I know for me, you want to know what I do? I, I put up the TV. That's the very first thing I do, especially if it's in the, the, the fall. If I'm moving in September, October, November, uh, even December, man, the very first thing I'm doing is setting up the TV. If I've got a TV, I can do the rest of stuff. Of the stuff. I can unpack. I can work on projects. I can do whatever because if I have the TV going, that means, man, I'm home. When I get the TV on, that means like this is now home for me. I don't know why. I have to set up the TV first. My wife hates that I set up the TV first everywhere I move. We move somewhere and the TV goes up and it gets turned on and we start watching some sports. That's like the, the christening. So what do you do first? Here, right here in chapter chapter three, verse one, it says that the Israelites, man, they, they came home. They went back into their towns and the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. They kind of got settled in. They got their stuff put away and then they immediately go to Jerusalem. They've had a long journey. It took a while for them to get from uh, where they were at in Persia to now into Judah. It took them, it was a pretty long journey. They scatter to their towns and then immediately they unpack and now they're back in it. Now they're back getting together. Now they're back trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives and they get together in Jerusalem. And, and this is a very important month for them. They come together on the seventh month. It was the seventh month when they arrived, which is a very important month in a Jewish calendar. Uh, they, they've got New Year's Day. They celebrate basically New Year's Day is on the first day of the seventh month which is right around September, October, uh, in between those two months. They've got the Day of Atonement. Ten days after the, the New Year's Day, they've got this Day of Atonement, which was, you can look it up in Leviticus chapter 16 if you want, or just write that in the margin. Uh, on the seventh month, Isra, uh, on, on Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, just write um, Leviticus 16. It talks all about the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was basically, uh, this started with Moses and Aaron, Aaron was the high priest. He'd have to take a bath, put on clothes, and then sacrifice a bull for him and his family so that all sins. And this was the only time he could go into the Holy of Holies. This was the only time of year, one time a year, they could go in. And, and this would be the atonement. This would be the repentance of the sins of, of all of Israel. They would come together and this was the day of atonement. It was where they would atone for all of their sins. And so he would, they would bring out two goats. One goat they would sacrifice for all the sins of all the people. And another goat, uh, the high priest would put his hand on the goat, confess all of the sins of the people, and then they would let that, that goat go outside of the camp. They would, they would let it go. It was called the scapegoat goat. That's where we get the term scapegoat from. It's from this. So they had the day of atonement 10 days later, and they've never been able to do these things while they were in exile. So they get there on the seventh month and immediately they go to Jerusalem to start worshiping together. Five days after the day of atonement, they have something called the Feast of Booths, which we'll get into later on. Now, now picture this. They have very few resources, right? They have been in Babylon for so long. They don't have much. They have very few resources and there's a ton of work to do. I don't know if you've ever gone back 
back into a land that was completely torn apart. Think about Florida right now and all of the work that has to be done because of the hurricane that went through how much destruction there is. Or, or, or think about all the images you've seen in the Ukraine of just buildings blown up, burned down, whatever it is, and just uh, the, the amount of work once this horrible thing is over, the amount of work that's going to have to go back into rebuilding. So that's basically what Israel is walking into, is this moment where it's like, oh my goodness, we have so much work to do. So there's few resources, there's lots of work, but the very first thing they do. They put their stuff down and they go into the city center to worship. The first thing they do is they go to church. Man, that's often our last thing we do, isn't it? We get settled into a town. We get settled into a community. I mean, how many of you guys go to church on vacation? I've, I don't. Uh, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. I used to, when we were growing up, man, we'd go, to, we, we'd go if we were on vacation and it ha- happened over a Sunday, we were finding a Baptist church that we were going to go to church to. But now I, I, I don't do it. Man, what's the very first thing you do? You enter into a new town. You're getting your house all settled in. Do you have, okay, guys, put everything down. Brian, stop putting the TV up. We got somewhere we got to go. Oh, cool. We're going to go grab dinner, right? Got I mean, that was a long trip, getting a little bit hungry, all this moving, you know, whatever. Nope, we're going to church. That's the very first thing that they do. Man, it's impressive that that's the very first thing they do. They're back into their land that they haven't been in 70 years. All of the smells, all of the sights, all the things that they remember. Grandpa's going on and on and on about all the things he remembers about this place and that place. Maybe some tears are flowing because of how just poor this place is now. And the first thing, all of them to come together, unified under one God to worship together. Man, what's our priority as a church? What's our priority as, as people here in the United States, man? When is, is church the very first priority? Is our relationship with Christ the number one priority or is it somewhere down the list? Ah, we'll get to it when we get to it. Not that important today. We got to figure out what we're going to do uh, for everything else. Man, what's the very first thing you do? When you move to a new town, that's, that, that's what they do. They said, hey, we got to get to Jerusalem and we're going to celebrate together in unity as one man in Jerusalem. Okay, verse two. Then arose Yeshua. Yeah, Yeshua. Sound familiar? The son of Jazadak. I don't, I'm not as confident on that one. <laughs> With his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of God, of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Okay, verse two, what are they doing? The very first thing they do, they come together to worship and they get some people appointed. Yeshua, Zerubbabel, a couple of you other guys, your families, you're going to build the altar. The altar was to them what the cross is to us. It's where you put your sin offerings. It's where you put everything. Your uh, sacrifices to God, everything, your way that you're able to communicate with God was through the altar. And they're saying, man, the very first thing we've got to do is we've got to build an altar. They built the altar first because it's what they could do. It was probably the easiest thing to set up. You could set up an altar pretty much anywhere. But they go and they find where the altar used to be, one of the altars used to be, and they put the altar there. They, they're trying to begin the work. They're trying to begin a great work just by doing the very first thing that they possibly can. Sometimes we get so handicapped, don't we? Where it's like, ah, oh, 
I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got this project right now in uh, for my garage. We're converting half of it over into a living space uh, because we bought a two-bedroom house and we have four children. So <laughs> we needed to do something. And man, I I'll tell you, looking at this project, it's just like, I, I don't even know where to begin, you know? Where, where do we even start with this thing? Because there's so much that we've got to do. But you just do the very first thing first. So we start getting permits. We start doing this. And then slowly but surely, we start making progress. Some of us get so handicapped because there's so much work to be done. And, 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 and we just don't want to do any of it. But we see the Israelites here. They're, they're looking. Man, they come to Jerusalem. They start worshiping automatically. Like, like first thing they do is go to church. And then the next thing is, you know what? We got to build an altar. And so they build an altar. That's the next step for them to do. They built the altar first because that was for everyone. See, the priests, they used the temple. Not everyone could go into the temple. This, is, this was how they atoned for sin. They come there on the seventh month. They know the Day of Atonement is showing up soon. And so they've got to build the altar. Like I said, the altar is to them what the cross is to us. And we cannot build our worship on a house that doesn't start with Jesus. Listen, we can build awesome buildings. We can build awesome things. We can, we can make an incredible, quote unquote, church building. We can put all of the lights in. We can make all of the, like the speakers can be incredible. But if we don't build our worship, if Restoration Church is built on anything other than Jesus Christ, it's going to fail. So the very first thing that we need to do is build our house on the worship of Jesus Christ. Our churches, our homes, our lives, our relationships, our marriages, our relationships with our kids has to be built on the worship of Jesus Christ first. We're so good at building boxes. We're so good at, 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 at pretending of what worship really looks like. And some of us have just completely gotten out of the habit of coming together to worship. It's why I'm recording on a Thursday to, to have this done by a Sunday. Because once the pandemic hit, everyone just kind of scattered. And then when we came back together, it was like, man, not all of us wanted to go back together. Not all of us wanted to get back into a church because it was more convenient for us to say. Last week, we talked about God stirred it in their hearts for some of them to go. Not everybody's heart was stirred to go. Some of them felt very comfortable exactly where they were at. And they're like, no, nah, we're good. We don't need to sacrifice anymore. We're not, we, we don't need to do the altar stuff anymore. We're just going to stay here and be comfortable. Man, I urge you, this, this series, I, I, I mean, we talked about it in the podcast this week. If you haven't heard about the podcast, we do a podcast every single Thursday. But we talked about this in the podcast of this series is so important for us right now because so many of us have just let it go to the wayside. We're like, it's not really that important to me anymore. I, I get community so many other places. Man, we're, we're, building, we're building something without Jesus as our foundation. It's like if they had built the temple first without the altar, it would have just been an empty shell, just a whole bunch of stuff put together. And if we build our families, if we build our lives, if we build our churches without Jesus Christ, it's just going to be an empty box. Man, no matter what we do on a Sunday morning at the, at the brewery, 
It remains a brewery if Jesus Christ isn't at the center of it. We talk about this all the time on Sunday mornings when we gather together that, sure, at 11 o'clock the brewery opens up and it's a brewery, but in the moment from from about 8 o'clock in the morning until about 11 o'clock in the morning, man, it becomes a church because we are building something on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We're coming to the altar of the cross and saying, we're giving something up here. We are building it on Jesus Christ. That's our altar. The cross is what the altar was. The cross to us is what the altar was to the Israelites. So what are you building your life on? What are you sacrificing things on? What are you repenting on? Is it, is it something else other than the cross of Jesus Christ? And if we're not building that altar, if we're not building our lives on, on, on Jesus Christ, then our response to the next verse is, is going to be completely different than what Israel does here. Is that enough of a little preview? All right, verse 3. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. They were, they were submitting offerings every morning and every evening. And they were afraid of the people around them. Remember, 70 years since the last time they'd been here. 70 years. And when Babylon took over, when Babylon uh, destroyed all of Judah, what they would do is all the other conquered cities they took, man, they would just leave people, poor people, whoever it was that they took with them. They would just just uh, put people from different cultures all together in one spot so that they couldn't rebuild anything, so that the language barrier was there and, and they just wouldn't be able to do anything. They were poor, they were farmers, they were vi- vineyard people, like they didn't have much. And so when everything got put back together, uh, when Babylon left and then just left these people there, it was people from all these different cultures and it was just empty. And, and that's who's been living in the land for 70 years. People who just have no idea about who God is, they're intermarrying, they're doing whatever. They're just like, man, I guess we just live here on our own now. And so when, when, when the people of Judah come back, the people who are wanting to rebuild under God to, to, to be the nation of Israel once more, they've got to start looking out for the people around them, not just people from Samaria, but from all over the place. They're afraid of, of, of who's there. So when you're afraid of something, what do you do? When you're afraid of something, what do you do? Here we say, see that they, the very first thing they do, the fear is what drove them to build the altar. Man, we got so many enemies around us. We got to get to the altar. We got to get to our knees. We got to start offering sacrifices because we're afraid of everything around us. Don't be concerned. Don't let it uh, get you down. If fear is the thing that drives you to, to, to Jesus for the first time, man, fear is going to be something that drives us to something. What does fear drive you to do? You're afraid of something, so you what? look up as much info on it as possible. Boy, I'm not sure about the way I'm feeling right now. I better go to WebMD and figure out how I'm feeling, what's, going ha- <laughs> what's happening in my body. Never go to WebMD to figure that kind of stuff out, especially if you're a hypochondriac because um, you're just going to get even more worried. So just go to your doctor if you're concerned about that. Man, but you're afraid of something. You look up as much info as possible on it, right? You, you, you mount your defense. You're like, okay, oh man, this person's coming in. I better mount my defense. I better make sure that, that I am ready to go, right? You're like, you're mounting your defense. Maybe you're going to get angry or maybe you go into hiding. 
Maybe just like Adam and Eve did, right? When they sinned, they went into hiding. It says it in Genesis chapter three. God goes into the garden because it was evening time. And that was when they would just go for walks together. And Adam and Eve were nowhere to be found. And God asks a question, not because he doesn't know where they are, because he wants them to tell him, hey, where are you? Where are you? Adam and Eve, they pop out and they say, we were hiding because we were afraid. So do we hide from God when we're afraid? Or do we run to him? A few chapters later in Genesis, you, you meet this guy named Jacob, who's on this night, his, his name is going to be changed to Israel. He's up all night afraid. Because his brother Esau, who he had tricked for a whole bunch of things, his birthright, his blessing, took a whole bunch of stuff from Esau. And he finds out that his Esau, his, his brother Esau is coming to get him. So Jacob, he prays. And Jesus shows up and they have a wrestling match. When you're afraid, where do you go? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to lean not on our own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So whose understanding are you leaning on? They were afraid, so they built the altar. Fear can drive us to Jesus Christ, depending on how we're set up. Okay, verse 4. We're going to do a few verses this time, all right? I know, we're already up against it. And they kept the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and offered uh, the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the, very f from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. There's so much work for them to do, but yet they still are going to honor the calendar. They're still going to honor the things that they have to do. Like I said, that, that New Year's Day was a day of rest. So you come in, you've got so much work to do, you're ready to get going. Oh yeah, it's the first of the seventh month. That means we got to rest today. All right, then we're going to pick it right back up. So, oh, oh you know what? Ten days later, uh, that's the Day of Atonement. We got to rest again. We better build this altar quick. So they build the altar, and then there, there's another rest day, a day of rest, uh, not to mention every single Sabbath they're resting. And then after five days after the Day of Atonement, they have the Feast of Booths, which starts with what? You guessed it, more resting. It's also called the Feast of, uh, I, actually, I'm not sure, so I'm not going to say that right now. Uh, the Feast of Booths, this was to remind them that they stayed in tents. Uh, they stayed in, sorry, let me say that again. In the, <laughs> let's start. In the Feast of Booths, what they would do, is uh, they would go out and go camping, basically. Uh, it was a big old camping excursion, basically. They would stay in tents to remind them of how their forefathers lived in the wilderness. Some of us like to camp just for the sake of camping. I call them crazy people, but whatever. People love to camp. Uh, and, and, and what they would do here, they would stay out there for... Um, I, actually, I don't even know how long they stayed out there because I didn't look that up. But you can look it up in uh, Numbers 29, verse 12 through 38. That's going to be where the festival of uh, the Feast of Booths is. And, and again, this is the, the, the second exodus. They're considering this the second exodus. And so they're reminding themselves they're going to go live in these tents for a while, uh, for a few days at least, to remind themselves of what 
their forefathers went through in the wilderness. And, and, and it's a good reminder for us too. I don't know if we should go camping every, every year just to remind us of this, but man, they were, they, they were reminded of the way that they lived in that time. There's so much work to be done. There's so much to do. And yet they're taking the time to do the things that they need to do because they're putting God first. They came back from exile and they know the reason they went into exile in the first place is because they were a sinful people. And so when they come back, they're like, man, we've got to do this the right way. We've got to do this the right way. And so they're looking back, they're, they're having this feast of booths and they're looking back, they're saying intense and they're reminding uh, themselves about the people of, of, of the wilderness that lived there for 40 years remembering this is how they lived, that they had to rely on God every morning for, for manna to come down from heaven, that it would just like these little crackers basically would just form on the ground for them every single day. So every single day they had to rely on God for him to provide for them what they needed. And it would last for the entire day. And then the next day, more of that manna would show up. It's in Exodus chapter 16. You're going to eat nothing but bread for 40 years. I don't know where we get this idea that uh, immense wealth equates to, to, to blessing. We talked about this last, last week, right? Where, where do we get this idea in scripture where, man, if you only have so much, then God is really blessed. Like you, God has blessed you because of how much you have. We look at this story in, in Exodus chapter 16, where every single day they had to rely on God for everything that came to them. Man, some of us are living paycheck to paycheck and we feel that. But if I'm in the will of what God has for me, man, I'm not going to store up all this stuff for myself. It says in Exodus chapter 16 that they were, there would be manna on the ground every single morning for them. And if anybody tried to keep any for the next day, they started trusting in their own abilities. They would work a little bit harder. It said that they just gathered what they needed for the day. And nobody had too little, nobody had too much. And some people would try to gather too much. And then in the next day, the next day they would go and look at their bags. All of it would have maggots on it. It would be rotten. It would be moldy. It would be gross. So you had to throw it out and get new stuff. And God finally was like, when are your people finally going to listen to me? I'm the provider. I'm the one who's going to give you things. And man, uh, uh, Restoration Church, I hope that, that you guys and myself can live that way, knowing that the only thing that we have, the only thing, good thing that we ever get comes from God. And we can try to store stuff for ourselves. We can try to, you know, make our bank accounts bigger. We can try to make sure that we're, we have enough stuff that we feel comfortable. But God is saying, everything is going to come from me. Now, I'm not saying don't have a 401 Okay, don't have any of those things, but man, don't make that the biggest thing in your life. So they had this feast of booths, even when there was a lot of work to be done. And the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Two more verses. Four more, but I'm going to read two more. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the, to the grant that they had from Cyrus king of Persia. So Cyrus king of Persia gave them money to build a new temple. He was like, have some money. It was a grant. Here you go. 
Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, so there's been two years now, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of, the, of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Jozadak, made a beginning, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. So basically, they're getting together. They're going to rebuild the temple. This is a callback to Solomon building the temple in 1 Kings chapter 6. They're following the exact same thing. They're checking out these people from other places. They're getting the cedar wood from... from um, what did it say? Let me get that right from Lebanon. I just had to make sure I was right. Uh, from the Sidonians and the, and the Tyrians, they were they were getting um, they were getting all of the goods and stuff. And this is exactly what uh, Solomon was doing in building the temple. And this is the exact same time that Solomon was building the temple. So in their second year, and it's the second month, they're like, we're going to build this exactly the way Solomon did, except we have a lot less money to work with right now. It's not going to be quite as good, but it's going to be similar. And that's bringing back all of these feelings, all of these thoughts, like we're going to build this temple the way that Solomon built it. They were serious about following the laws and the rules for building and living their lives in, the, in, in a proper way. Because when you come back from an exile, all you want to do is just the right thing. Man, when you get a second chance on something, don't you just like, you just pour into it. I, I know there's moments in my lives where, where maybe I'm not quite on fire for God the way that I should be. And then when I come back to him, when it's like, Brian, wake up, would you please wake up? What do I start doing? Man, I'm in my Bible so much more. I'm more careful about the things that I watch. I'm more careful about the things that I read. I'm, I'm just more careful all the way around because I'm so close. I know what it's like to be in exile and now to no longer be in exile. And so the people of Israel right here, they're like, we're going to do this exactly the way that it needs to be done. We're going to follow it to, the, to a T because we don't want to go to exile again. We're given a second chance. We get to rebuild. Man, when you're back from exile, all you want to do is the right thing. Verse 9. And Yeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now picture this, all of a sudden, here you go, you got the foundation laid, right? And, and, and it's just like Solomon's temple dedication and, and only a, a little bit lighter. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, they get together. Okay, we've laid the foundation and now we just can't hold it back anymore. We just have to worship. I know it's only the foundation. I know we're just getting started with this thing. But man, I'm compelled to worship. Get the, get the, get the band back up here. Come on, let's go. We got to start worshiping together. We got to start singing. We got to start singing praises. Bring the cymbals, bring the harps, bring whatever, bring the trumpets. Uh, these were silver. 
silver trumpets. These were like nice trumpets, not a ram's horn. These were like trumpet trumpets. And they're like, we got to start singing these songs. We got to start praising. They were so excited about the temple being built. They even sung the same song using the same instruments. Man, it's easy to worship when you've got a good reason, right? Their lives were, were in ruin. Some saw it literally ruined. Some of them were out of the, the, this Judah the last time they were there. All they saw was their land being burned to the ground. And now they're seeing a temple being built. The foundation has been laid. And some of these younger people who have never, ever seen it before, but they hear grandpa talking about it. They heard dad talking about it. And now they get to see it firsthand. Man, they get to join in and goosebumps right on the back of the neck. The hair on the back of the neck starts to stand up. You get goosebumps all around your, your arms because we are finally back. Here's where the temple was and we're going to rebuild it. We get the foundation in and we just need to sing because some people probably thought that it was never going to happen. Some of them thought that, man, this seemed impossible. There was no way we were ever going to be back there. I bet after a year, maybe five or, I mean, think back five or 10 years from now and now tack on another 65 to 60 years on top of that. How many of us would be losing hope? I mean, some of them had to have only been infants, toddlers, young children when they first saw this burning to the ground. And now they come back as old men men and women. And they come back to the temple that the last time they saw it was crumbling to the ground. On fire. And now they're returning and worshiping on a spot that once seemed impossible. So yeah, we might just have the foundation laid, but we're going to stop and we're going to praise God. Because God wants you to worship on the mountain of impossible. Let me say that again. God wants you to worship on the mountain of impossible. Man, just like Israel's coming back and they're seeing, oh, we don't have anything here. Let's lay a foundation. We didn't think we'd ever get back here. We thought it was going to be impossible. There is no way we were ever going to make it back. God led them right back to the same spot where the temple had been destroyed. And they clear out the debris. And they lay the foundation. And they just start worshiping. God wants us to worship on the mountain of impossible. You've got that diagnosis from the doctor. It's the worst word you ever wanted to hear. Never thought it happened to you. There's fear creeping into your life. What's the first thing you do? Go on WebMD and check out all the symptoms, right? God wants you to worship on the mountain of impossible. Man, to just surrender yourself to him on, on, on whatever the thing is that's impossible. Maybe it's not a diagnosis. Maybe you've got an uphill battle somewhere else in life. Maybe you're suffering from depression and anxiety and you just don't know how God is ever going to take this away. The whole thing just seems impossible to you. God wants you to worship on the mountain of impossible. That's why it's so important when we gather together, whatever it is that we're bringing, whatever it is that we're holding on to, we get to release all of that. And, and, and on that mountain of impossible, that diagnosis, 
diagnosis, that disorder, that anxiety, that depression, whatever it is, we're just leaving it all at the altar, at the feet of the cross where Jesus used to hang. And we are reminded of what Jesus did for us, that he defeated everything in our path. He is victorious so that we can worship on the mountain of impossible. And God wants us to come back to him and say, here's what I feel is impossible right now. Maybe it's a relationship torn in two and you're bringing that into your worship, the worship of impossible or the worshiping God and the mountain of impossible. This relationship, it just seems like it's impossible to be repaired. Maybe kids are going in the wrong direction. Maybe you're trying to raise them right and they just weren't listening and now they've gone off to do some other thing. And now you need to worship God on the mountain of impossible. And God, I'm surrendering this over to you. I didn't think it was possible, but I'm going to trust in you for what you know is good. God wants us to worship on the mountain of the impossible. Man, that's why I get worked up. That's why I love leading worship. That's why I love singing together as one church because there's so many things, so many stories going on behind us. And and when we get together, it doesn't matter where we're at. It could be in the brewery or the most magnificent church you've ever seen. But when all of these voices start raising worship of the God, knowing the backstories, knowing what's going on around us, and we can surrender it all over to him. Man, the, the hair on the back of your neck starts to stand up, doesn't it? You start to get goosebumps. Because we know that with God, all things are possible. God wants us to worship on the mountain of impossible because well, God is in the business of restoration. When Jeremiah was writing to the Israelites for this purpose in, in the second half of verse 11 of chapter 33, I know I just said that weird. Jeremiah 33, 11b says this, Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Man, that sounds pretty simple, really similar to what they had just, just sung, right? For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. God is in the business of restoration. He doesn't want to leave things incomplete. He doesn't want to leave things broken. God is the God of the impossible. God is in the business of restoration. It says in Revelation 21, 5, 24 and 5, he says that I will wipe away every tear from the face of, face of the earth. Write this down. Behold, I am making all things new. Our God is in the business of restoration. When Jesus went to the cross, he was restoring the relationship between humanity and God. And he, when he sat down on the throne, after he was finished, he was on the cross and he said, it is finished, tetelestai, what it was before, what is now, and what will be, all of it is finished. The work is done. We are done. We are victorious because we have Jesus Christ now. And now we get to have this restorative relationship relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, and God is in the business of restoring lives to him. It's why we named the church Restoration Church. We're just a bunch of people returning from exile, you guys. That's all that it is. We may not look the part, we might not have the right building, but we're laying a foundation on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We may have humble beginnings, but it says in scripture that God inhabits the praises of his people. So man, we are going to praise what God is doing. And we're going to stand on the mountain of impossible and we're going to praise God for what he's done in our lives. And there's nothing that's going to get in the way, right? 
Israel, you're back in Judah. You're back in the land. Nothing's going to get in the way, right? Man, look at the temple. It's getting laid. The foundation's getting laid. There's nothing that's going to stand. The hair standing back. The trumpets are playing. They hit all the right notes. They played oceans for you. They played great are you, Lord. They played all of the hits, man. They, 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 they played whatever it was that you wanted to play. Your favorite worship song. They were playing it. Nothing's going to hinder. They played all the old hymns. Nothing's going to stop it, right? Verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers, houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Some of the old timers who had been there as children and saw what Solomon had built with billions of dollars, equivalent of today, billions of dollars. And they walked to this worship service. And it's not the same. They look at the foundation like it's not as big as the last one. Man, they heard stories from from Second Chronicles of what was happening in that first dedication of the temple. I mean, they had the Ark of the Covenant there. They had they had the smoke and laser light show. Basically, they had singing. They had sacrifices that were too many to count. They couldn't count it. It says in Second Chronicles, they had the Ark of the Covenant, and 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 a literal cloud of the glory of the Lord enveloped them. They, like I said, a laser light show with smoke coming through. The 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 Levites had to stop doing what they were doing because the smoke was so thick. And this one, they just had a foundation. They had the, the, the musicians and, and, and the singing and stuff. Some of them came back to the temple. They witnessed that grand temple be burned to the ground. And here they stand on the same ground remembering all that it used to be and remembering all that they had lost. And, and they let how it used to be done hinder where they were going next. And church, I just have to implore us, man, when we make worship about us, they didn't play my favorite song. They don't play enough hymns. I'm having this thing going through. It's not the way it was when I was growing up. Man, that's a hindrance to what God is doing now. And that culture, if you were sad about something, you would just weep openly. I mean, it was, it was a pretty big display. And we thought worship wars was just something that happened now. This was something that was going on way back then. See, we treat our churches and our worship services like, like, like we do at a restaurant and a, and, and a service industry. Oh, it's not the way I liked it. I didn't really care that much for that part of it. Man, I got to tell you, Restoration Church, I, I, we're, we're not a church of a bunch of 
lights and, and smoke and a huge sound system. It's just not who we are, at least right now. But we're trying to build something on the foundation of Jesus Christ on the altar. And we want to do it right. Man, I got so used to just playing along and having the the nice sound system and the and, and the lights. I'm not saying don't use those things. Man, if you got it, you can use it and you're not gonna break the bank. I mean, and you're a church right now, go for it. Go for it. But sometimes we start making it all about that and not so much about the worship of who God is. And it's hard for us to worship in a brewery because, well, it's not like what it used to be. We're worshiping the temple instead of what was housed in the temple. And now we are the living temple. Our bodies are a temple for Jesus Christ. For those of us who follow him, our, our body is a temple. And, and, and so when we get together, we are the temple. We are the church of God. There is no more building for the church of God. It's just us. God wants to rebuild your foundation of worship. God's saying, listen, I know, I know the temple burned down. I saw it happen. And it's okay. And, and, and maybe the temple now is not going to look as grand as what Solomon had built. But I'm not asking you to, to rebuild Solomon's temple. God says, I'm asking for your heart. Are, are you going to do the things that I call you to do? Are you going to follow the things that I've set in place for you to do? Are you going to follow my law? Are you going to follow the book? Are you going to follow the rules for worship? I, I'm, I'm no longer making this about a place anymore. I, I'm making this about, about a relationship. And now, church, man, we have Jesus Christ in our lives. It's no longer about a place. This is about a relationship with him. So we can literally worship wherever we want. God wants to rebuild your foundation of worship where it's not predicated and dedicated and, and, and needs to be fixated on something. Oh, if they don't play my favorite song, then I'm not going to be able to get involved in worship. In fact, I'm just going to keep my hands in my pocket because I don't really like this song that much. Man, if they don't play the songs I want, if the speaker doesn't say the things that I want, if he's funny enough, if he's smart enough, if he's whatever enough, man, if he's charismatic enough, then maybe I'll get something out of it. But I, I, it's, it's, it's so much about me right now. Man, if, and if that's the way that we're doing it, we've built a temple for ourselves and not for God. God is, is, is in the praises of his people. God is in our hearts. And so when we worship him, no matter what the song is, no matter what the style is, no matter, no matter how loud it is or how quiet it is, when we just get back to the foundation of what worship is, which is giving everything over to Jesus Christ, man, then we respond in a way that most of Israel is here. God doesn't want to rebuild your success. God doesn't want to rebuild the church the way that it was before. I mean, think back to pre-COVID to now, and it's like, ah, uh, it's just not the same. 
great. It's not the way that it used to be. And we find ourselves like the people in Ezra 12 and verses 12 and 13. It's not what it used to be. God hasn't changed. Just our hearts. God doesn't want to rebuild your success. God doesn't want to rebuild your uh your, your preferences. Just your heart. God just wants to rebuild your heart towards him. We ask more and more these days, is it my style? Does that place have my style? And not, is Jesus here? Are we worshiping Jesus here? Is this a place of people following Jesus? We cool with that? The foundation of worship is this, that we come to the altar of the cross first and we lay it all down to him. Every impossible thing, we worship God on the mountain of impossible and we bring all of our stuff, all of our fear, everything that we have. We come to the altar of the cross first. We don't get everything else set up. We come to Jesus first. And then we establish his rhythms. What are, what's the rhythms for us? Man, he gave us a Sabbath for a reason. We establish his rhythms, the things that we need to respond to. And then when we've done those things, we run with our fears to Jesus. And that's how we rebuild the foundation of worship. Come to the altar, establish his rhythms, not what our rhythm, not what fits best for our life, but what he has for us. And we cast all of our cares onto him because he cares for us. Restoration Church. I hope that we can be a people following Jesus. That whatever the music is we're playing on a Sunday morning, man, it's worship to him. Who's ever preaching? Who's ever speaking? Man, it's all for the glory of God. And it's not so much what I can get out of this, but how much I get to worship him. Father, I pray that we as a church would be a people who worship you, God, in spirit and in truth. Would you help us, God? Would you forgive us when we make this all about us? Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the love you have for us, that you continue to rebuild our lives. God, you, you, you want to rebuild our relationships. We ask this in your name, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.